Hello and welcome to The New Conspiracist. And this, my friends, is the mysterious episode 11. Yes, it is in fact what disappeared was possibly in Area 51 in Series 1. It has been pulled out. And we now have a special for you to round off what has frankly been an intellectually exhausting, pretty humorous journey through the madness that is conspiracy theory. And when we were rounding this out, I wanted to speak to someone who I've known for a number of years. He was kind enough uh, at the very beginning of my career to give me an opportunity to sit down and, and discuss some of our ideas. And he is, you know, you know, he's one, he's a key worker. That's all I say. He's a key worker in Her Majesty's functioning democracy. And I talk, of course, with the editor of Private Eye, star of Have I Got News For You, history buff and general good bloke, Ian Hislop. How are you, mate? Right, the first example of fake news yet, your introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, we, we all know you're not a bastard, Ian, but we, just, we don't yeah. just say it straight away, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah no, you're good. I'm glad we cleared that. I'm sure you're on a lot of the domestic extremist lists that Priti Patel has probably been, you know, putting together on, I don't know, a fake mask that doesn't really work on a receipt or something. I'm not, you know, something like that. Um, so, Ian... You know, this is a podcast where usually we take a specific conspiracy theory each week before I find out what it's about, why people believe it, and most importantly, how and why and in what way has changed the general consciousness. But today we're doing a special because when we started talking about it, you, 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 a little while ago, you made a, um, uh, a television series looking at the sort of history of newspapers and fake news. And we started talking about that, but also about some experiences that we'll come on to later about QAnon. Um, and it struck us that it was a good opportunity to reflect back. So the first thing we ask every guest when they come on, I think we should stay to this at least, is when were you first aware, and I don't mean like get into as in believe it, but when, when was like the first conspiracy theory you came across? What was it? It was the moon landing. Um, it was the moon landing. It was the moon landing. It was the the moon landing didn't happen, and there were definitely boys in the playground uh, who said um, they didn't go there. Um, they shot the whole thing in a studio, and um, you're an idiot if you believe that. Um, and <laughs> I'd actually queued up as a boy to see some moon rock um, for at wow. least three hours. Um, it was a very small <laughs> piece of rock, and it was very, very unimpressive. But I, I convinced myself it was worth it, um, and I was terribly angry at the idea that I'd been a fool. And then I thought, I haven't been a fool, though, have I? Um, and there was a brilliant um, debunking of the um, um, the moon landing conspiracy. Um, not the you know is the shadow on the flag in the right place, but that was a classic. So someone worked out that about two hundred and fifty thousand people—that's the families of everyone who would have known—would have had to have said nothing for thirty years, despite being offered money, inducement, fame. They would all have had to have lied <laughs> and covered up for the whole of the century. And I thought, <laughs> no, um, they didn't. It's literally impossible to keep that many people stum for that length of time. Isn't it? We actually had Alex Gibney, who I'm a huge admirer of his work, um, you know, on the first episode of this series to discuss exactly that and the amazing little clues. But you're right, though, but that's a sort of because I guess for your generation, that was it for my generation, it was very much 9 11. 
Yes. You know, and it was like, as soon as it was, you know, Building 7, it was, you know, bunker buster missiles into the Pentagon. It was chain emails. You know, this is before the time of Facebook, Kevin Fafend, chain emails that, you know, huge, long tomes about the spiral of planes into buildings. And obviously, you know, the, the classic steel, you know, the, 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 the heat it would melt at. But in your generation, we were... We were slightly um, less innocent. I mean, the Jews get in very quickly to almost all conspiracy theories. They are the, they are the superstar of this podcast. We always say if it doesn't come back to either the Jews doing it or, you know, you know if it doesn't come back to blood libel in the end, then really is it even worth it? You know, does it even count? And I think they, these were my childhood was the innocent days of conspiracy theories because I don't <laughs> think there was any suggestion that the Jews wanted to take over the moon for themselves. Or, um, I'm, I'm not sure. But I tell you, the first, the first um, example I gave during this historical documentary was about the moon. Um, and the most brilliant um, uh, fake news in the early days of newspaper, 1835, wow. um, six days a New York newspaper ran an exclusive about a landing on the moon. Um, and they got an amazing um, telescope and they'd seen creatures like bats on the moon and people bought this this was in a newspaper amazing so was this like what, like the, the equivalent of like the New York Post or something you yeah, know, like yeah, the sun, yeah. Like, it was um, it was in a paper amusingly called the New York Sun some Nostradamus <laughs> vibes coming straight out of that just, just flying out but it was just extraordinary and because communication was very slow at that point um, they said this um, man had invented an amazing telescope to see all this. Um, and it took weeks for him to eventually see this paper. He was a, a Scottish um, astronomer. And he said, actually, I haven't seen the moon um, and I haven't seen any of this. But it was a brilliant story. And they sold absolute shed loads, shed loads of stuff. And yeah. again, you just feed into what people wanted. Um, yeah. And he said, oh, I've seen creatures that look a bit like angels. Yeah, it's a religious era. People want to see angels on the moon. I'll provide it. Um, you know, it, it. As you said earlier, you go for what's in your time. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, though, because, you know, underlying a lot of, uh, you know, the, the serious intent behind the silly podcast is the idea of this kind of, you know, what's dryly always referred to as, you know, media literacy, but is, in fact, a sort of wave across the world of, clickbait headlines designed to be as salacious as possible to bring you into a story that is badly reported because mostly it's been cut and pasted over and yeah. actually sort of suddenly you have this situation where you know a lot of people start thinking that they hear you know it's that thing a little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing because yeah. then they start going to the university of youtube and, and that seems to be a, a big thing because people don't really distinguish between literary publications or, or newspapers that can get sued for defamation or libel or whatever yeah. and, and publications will be held to a higher standard and people talking nonsense on youtube yes and then it's 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 always covered as though this is the democratization of journalism and that we've had enough of your stuffy um um uh empiricism words, <laughs> yeah, and, and words like authority we don't accept that anymore so you get to a point and i was try and say this is that people who will not believe anything they read that read in a mainstream newspaper and they won't believe anything they see on television will believe almost anything absolutely anything they read online yeah. whether it's sourced checked facted nothing doesn't bother them 
Um, and in our business, you know, Francis Ween, who's a great journalist on the eye, he said when he went into journalism, he started trying to tell stories. Nowadays, he says he spends most of his time telling people why stories aren't true. Um, <laughs> and the fact that you're doing a podcast about conspiracy theories that aren't true is really interesting. It suggests that that's the next frontier. Well, there's this amazing um, girl, I believe her name's... Uh, let me find her, actually, because I, I, I want to get this right, because she created an amazing pyramid diagram. Have you seen that one? The sort of pyramid of conspiracy theories that... Um, that was sort of going around the social media channels. And it's quite amazing because it's such a kind of panoply of different ludicrous uh, and insane ideas mixed with a sort of spattering of real issues that, that, that yeah. need to be seen. And Adam Curtis, who we recently um, had on the podcast, was talking about the in, in, intense need to focus more on the delineation between conspiracy, which is a real thing, as, as we talked about the other day, you know, CIA tried to cue, kill Castro with exploding cigars. You know, I mean, it's it, you, it's the stuff of Hollywood movie and conspiracy theory, mm. which is, you know, I mean, where do you want to start? You know, lizards. I mean, you obviously, uh, it is, I should actually say, just to be fair to the to the listener, it, Ian's tongue has been sticking out and in, in a sort of forked way. I just better not to say anything, but it's good to, it's good that you all know that he <laughs> is... You know, I'm I mean, essentially one of the reptiles um, who is covering the left. Yeah. I, <laughs> well, I, I keep trying to point out, you know, this idea that um, you have access through the internet to a superior knowledge, which is denied all the rest um, of the media. I mean, you have to remember that the person who, you know, most memorably said, don't believe the mainstream media, believe what we tell you, was Joseph Goebbels, um, who noticed <laughs> very early on that uh, <laughs> this was a very, very good way of making people um, believe rubbish. Um, and this is, and I'm sure Adam Kirst is very good on all this, and the, the, the Russians particularly, they want you not to believe things so that you don't believe anything. Um, and so it's almost impossible to um, invest people in an idea of the truth. And if you don't have a shared concept of the truth, you don't have any politics, you don't have any democracy. If you say, well, that's your truth, you know, this Trumpian idea that there isn't any particular objective reality, then I think, you know, civil society is in real real danger, which is why I think it's worth trying to point out to people, you know, this stuff really isn't true. And it's not in this idea that, um, you know, literally, um, you asked me sort of, do I come across this? Today, we're running a piece in Private Eye about, um, we run an international column. You know, they've got a big problem in India, because a lot of MPs are forwarding videos that say, if you drink cow's urine, you won't get COVID. Um, wow. Two journalists said, "You will, you know." They were arrested. Uh, no. You know, yeah, this is this is Hindu nationalist politics. Yes. Nationalist yeah. politics are not great on the whole anywhere in the world, as we as we keep finding out. I don't um, know about that, Ian. I think I'm not sure you'll ever find an example of any kind of nationalist government really having any sort of major problems with, I don't know, genocide or. Sorry, that's me know. being a conspiracy theory. Um, I just think you hate this country, and because you hate, you hate this country, so you say all this terrible. Why can't you just get behind the flag? I, I was and, talking and, about India. <laughs> Um, well, I, I mean, I, I thought, I'm so sorry, sorry. I thought, I thought, I'm so sorry, sorry, sorry. I just, it's you, when you, when we, I thought, 
Listen, Ian, I think the thing is, mate, that you and me just haven't got yet, that we haven't got the memo is apparently now, if you just criticize the government for an empirical fact uh, of something that they have either done wrong or has just not gone quite as planned as publicly stated, if there's a deviance from that, then you hate this country. That's no longer called reporting anymore. It's not, it's changed now. You know, it's like it's youth culture talk. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think the suggestion, you know, pointing out that other countries have governments that fail, I think is just equally irresponsible. So um, I'll try not to do either again. What's important is, I'm not sure if you've ever seen any Hollywood movies, Ian, but in Hollywood, (laughs) they have these movies. They have a good movie industry over there. And over there, what they do is they have disaster movies, you see, and stuff like that. And then they have presidents who rally around flags and stuff like that. And that's what they want us to do, Ian. They just want us to be... We've got to fight it uh, on the beaches um, and whatever else. Yeah. And again, I mean, I in the documentary I made, I pointed out that once you've um, told people that, you know, there are bat-like creatures floating on the moon, <laughs> the next thing newspaper proprietors did in the history was think, well, if I can lie about that, I can lie about what's happening in the real world. So, you know, at the start of the American um, war against Spain um, that was sort of focused outside Cuba, the uh, newspapers just started putting in wartime incidents that didn't happen. <laughs> and early Hollywood shot live footage uh, entirely with extras of battles that, that weren't taking place. Wow. Uh, so, wow. uh, again, all of this stuff has a, a really long history, which I find um, slightly reassuring. So it suggests that, you know, the public does get more literate. It gets more literate with social media in the same way it got literate with media 100, 200 years ago. So I, I'm hoping that um, the effect of, I mean, exactly podcasts like this is just to suggest to people, oh, come on. Yeah, exactly. Um, just have a look at where you're getting your information from. I think as, as you know, our good, but both of our good friends, you know, John Lloyd once, once said to me, you know, it's about the complexity of life and it's about accepting and understanding that we are, but, you know, leaves in the wind and however disconcerting that may be and that the world is incredibly complicated when finding a sort of nice little cookie cutter shape to say, oh, that's why it's going on. Even yeah. if it's the most, you know, insane conspiracy theory about you know bill gates injecting microchips through uh you know through vaccines that are then going to be twitched on by 5g i mean i found one of the best quotes in any tweet i've ever seen was it managed to get something like when it was like the lizards and 5g and bill gates and microchips and george soros within 240 characters it was it's a piece of art i mean you probably sell it as an nft you know nowadays Warning, this podcast contains juicy tales of a super dysfunctional family. Brothers betraying brothers, friends becoming enemies, and a mother trying her best to keep everything from falling apart. No, this isn't a reality TV rewatch. I'm Dan Jones, your host, and this is one of my all-time favourite true stories. Join me on a trip to the Middle Ages to meet history's most dangerous dynasty, the Plantagenets. This season, the plots are thicker, the ambitions greater, and the betrayals are even more devious in the epic saga of the family that shaped our world. From something else in Sony Music Entertainment, this is History, a dynasty to die for, season two, 
Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We all have questions that keep us up at night. The self-help industry tells us they have answers. As a journalist and a skeptic, I'm not so sure. So I've set out to talk to people who have gone to radical lengths to find answers. I'm Catherine Rowland. From Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Seeking. On season one, we're diving deep into the portal of plant medicine and psychedelics. Listen to Seeking wherever you get your podcasts. Why do you think this this sort of wave of conspiracy, which possibly we underestimated quite seriously, has almost become like an alternative reality that so many people are living within? Um, I do think it, it's the effect of a new technology which um, has been taken on board wholesale with very little thought about what effects it has. Um, and I think that is... is it's the amplification is something that we've never seen before. You know, I'm, I'm always keen to look back to history to, to point out parallels and say we've sort of vaguely been here before. But we haven't been before here before in this sort of volume. Um, and it's the speed with which the lie goes around the world and the desire for people to have some sort of controlling narrative. And I'm sure the death of religion is one um, – uh, one factor in it, and I think um, uh, a feeling of impotence is always countered by people. They feel better if they can say, and this is very strange, but you'd have to get proper psychologists on, but um, I feel that nothing I do matters. I haven't got a clue why the world works. Globalization has taken all power out of my hands. Ah, but I now have the key. I've been given the key through, you know, QAnon. And so everybody now understands and is given a clue as to how the world works. And then we can tell each other about it online and we can act as though we know the answers. Mm. And that's terribly intoxicating. It um, really is. It really is. And and I think, you know, whilst we're on the old, uh, you know, that the, I mean, I don't think many people have heard of QAnon, have they? I mean, it hasn't been in the news or anything or anything like that. But uh I mean, I obviously joke, we've now done, we did two, we did an episode last uh, series and then an episode this series with Nicky Wolf, um, who opened up the New Statesman in, in, in the States. And he, you know, we, when we were at the time of recording, um, we had just had the, you know, the sacking of the Citadel. You know, we had just really had the yeah. moment where um, the, 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 the Confederate flag first entered you know, uh, one of the bastions of democracy. And, you know, it's ter- ter- terrible images um, that resonate, you know, for generations. For you, when you sort of experienced that, the capital insurrection, taking that in and then thinking of yeah. how this would all come, did it take on a different significance? What, what, what was it like for you? What was it? What was your experience of it? Well, watching um, the, uh, the, um, that crowd storm the Capitol, I mean, I'd been in Washington interviewing the man who owns the pizza parlor at the center of Pizzagate, which is part of the QAnon phenomenon. And so, I mean, I'd literally been walking around there and I thought this is exactly uh, what he said happens. Um, And 
the lies that were spread about him, I don't know if you remember this. I mean, it was yeah. the suggestion. This is Pizzagate. That, this is the classic this is beginning. This, we should probably fill people in because this is a big tent of a podcast. So, Ian, tell us a bit about, you know, I mean, yeah. they may have heard of it, but then, and, and how this man's basement became an issue. I mean, there's a really very sweet man called James Elephantis who runs a small pizza um, joint in Washington. Um, he ran um, a small democratic fundraiser with a friend um, and I think supplied um, the catering. Uh, that was it. He didn't think anything further about it. And then somehow on the fringes, the extremes of the lunatic internet, um, people started suggesting that this pizza parlor was a front for uh, democratic paedophiles and that there was a basement there in which Hillary Clinton and others um, both abused and then murdered children. Um, and this, you would think, I mean, it begins as comedy. Um, it was on 4chan, and then it got to Reddit, and then it got to Twitter, and then it trended, and then it got to Facebook, and then it was on YouTube, then it was on Infowars. And suddenly, um, Trump's... Um, national security advisor and his son were retreating this. So this story, which was phenomenally, phenomenally um, successful in transmitting itself, um, became accepted wisdom for millions of people. And, and um, poor old James, he's sitting there um, and um, I mean, at this point, you have to laugh because this bit is it's so crazy, isn't it? When you say it's, it's so crazy because you're talking about you just said the national security advisor to the, the at that time, the president of the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is saying this is true. And so is his son. And there are people all over the states. You saw the banners again at the Capitol and in demonstrations in Britain in which it's their, their messages say, save the children, protect our children. And what they mean by that is Pizzagate is true. The Democrats were attempting to murder and abuse people there. And um, for James, you know, they he is a, he's a very sweet bloke and he's sort of he can still be funny about it i mean his name alephantis um they decided it meant because it was french for jaime les enfants oh my um, god and this was code for the fact that he's clearly a pedophile um and the initials of his restaurant are CP, which stands for child pornography and literally this is evidenced as proof you know by people who are allowed on the television in the states and what happened is is it turned, one day he's in his pizza parlour, in comes a man in fatigues with a rifle. Um, suddenly it's not funny anymore. The guy with the rifle wanders through, his customers are there, there are actually children in the building, but, oh, God, that's not going to affect a conspiracist. Uh, they're there with their parents because this is a family restaurant. He goes through, he says, where's the um, uh, basement? Uh, James says there isn't a basement. He starts looking for a basement. He can't find it. So he ends up firing his gun at a computer. Then he puts his gun down, fortunately, without killing anyone, and he's arrested by the police. But the virtual world of total fantasy drivel comes into the real world. And I, I was very affected by that, literally just sort of interviewing him, thinking, I cannot believe it. And at, at every point, he said, it was impossible to stop people believing this. They still believe it. He said it's at uh, one point it's 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 trying to sort of like um, trying to shoot a swarm of bees um, with a gun. You 
you can't do it. They keep buzzing. Um, and that, I think, is the, um, is the frightening thing about something like QAnon, which we watch with complete disbelief, um, or, you know, its basis in Pizzagate. And yet that was involved in the election of the United States uh, in the last thing. And that is terrifying. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Because I, I'll tell you what, this is where I'm at with it at the minute, right? I can't decide if it's one of two things, right? It's, it, in my mind, it's either that people just find this stuff more entertaining than news and go, do you know what? I prefer this version. Yeah. It's, it's like different versions of, I don't know, Spider-Man. It's like, I don't like that spider I prefer his version. I'll just watch that version of it. Yeah. Or it's the total... And this is the more depressing one, which I don't want to be true, but I fear maybe, is it's just the death of rationalism as a currency. Yeah. It's that maybe that, as you said, that it's sort of like a, you know, it's, it's epoch, you know, changing technology has, has come along. And in the, the, you know, the time of the written word and the printing press, you know, rationalism was the dictat. But here, because of the sort of pictures and the veracity of the colours and the sort of intensity of the images and and almost sort of the soundtrack to the facts, which is like the most fucking ridiculous thing you could ever say to anyone who believes in empiricism, but it does seem to be part of how these things get shared. And, and, and it started with things like, you know, the President of the United States being more interested in the amount of retweets than what he had tweeted. Yeah. You know, yeah, and he is definitely part of the process. And, and the Russian um, uh, bot factories, which are, again, um, you know, extraordinarily potent in terms of um, – I mean, this is the, the performance artist advisor of, of Putin, who Adam's very good on on all those things, about saying it's, it's the way you do it. Um, yeah. uh, that's what people are interested in. But I think, you know, um, for us, we have to get literate um, in – uh, all the techniques involved. I mean, there is a there's a very strange man in America who basically just puts up things that he sees if people on the alt right will believe. Um, and yeah. uh, then American he, contrarians. Yeah, and then he um, emails them all and says, "You're an idiot." I mean, I don't know how effective this is, but he did a very funny one. He just said. Um, uh, big sort of thumping music, and he just said, you're not going to believe it, but uh, in our schools today they're using Arabic numerals, and I'm starting a campaign now. I want your signature. He got tens of thousands of signatures. He got petitions in local schools. Um, you know, we got to stop these Arabic numerals coming in. Um, it was just, I thought, a fantastically funny joke, and then he told them all, you're idiots. Um, oh, my God. I'm so jealous I never thought of that one. That is yeah, just absolutely. Can you imagine? That would be perfect for Dale Maley. Listen, there are Arab numbers coming into the country, literally adding up sums. There are literally sums being added up in front of us from Arabia. <laughs> it's like, honestly, I, met, I remember one time I was in Washington play, playing this guy, and I met a guy who was convinced, obviously, that Barack Obama was a Muslim. He was a birther, but he was also yeah. absolutely convinced that every, every, every facet of the federal government has been infiltrated by Muslim extremists. <laughs> and we sat down, and this, it was so scary is that, you know, I, you know, you initially kind of think these people are jokes. This was 2015. As we rolled into Trump, for me, it was the moment of when they called the Muslim ban. Because I first thought, well, this is impossible, but this is also going to drag things in a way that 
it's defied the rational logic of gravity and how to be held to account. Just if Muslim extremists have have infiltrated every bit of um, the US government, then how come after 9-11 they had nobody who spoke any of the languages of any of the people who were involved? details. Ian, I feel it very strongly. And therefore, if I feel it strongly, it must be true, Ian. Why, what was this rational there logic? There were so few Muslims anywhere <laughs> near government that they had no idea where to start. <laughs> oh, it's so upsetting, isn't it? Because also, you know, you've got to think as well over here, you know, uh, whether it was, you know, uh, you know, Cummings or Bannon, these kind of um, new era, um, you know, media spinners, but they almost like they're like narrative constructors in a different way, almost like story world builders in a sort of virtual reality that use people who should really be making Grand Theft Auto, you know, the next yeah. one. Yeah. It's, it, they've just got this amazing ability and capacity to sort of reductively create these things. And I think because they are so see-through, even though people go along with it, I don't think the majority of people are stupid. I think they're just like, can't be bothered. Okay, it's not going to affect my life. Then the people start grasping to stuff that, for, for me, the experience was, I was in India, I was, met some very nice people, I met a, a couple of, a uh, group of, of Swedish brothers traveling around, lovely chaps, very intelligent, until they told me that the, the earth was flat. You know, and I was absolutely sure they were joking. Yeah. Until I realized they really weren't. And if for some, I'll tell you something else. Flat earthers, they, NASA is the enemy. It always comes down to something to do with NASA yeah. and the International Space Station. Actually, that's where, that's where power resides. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's a very strange belief. And like you, I mean, I was in, in, in Greece last summer um, and um, there's a bloke on, on the beach who does water skiing who I've known for years because um, I go to the same place. And he said, oh, Ian, you're a journalist. He, he said, I mean, these sacrifices that the politicians have been making, they're terrible. And I thought, have politicians been making sacrifices? I haven't noticed any. But, and, he, and he meant real sacrifices. And he pointed me to his phone, and he meant Hillary murdering people in um, Washington. And I wow. thought, this is an example of how fast this travels. Um, yeah. And I said, it's cobblers. Um, you can't believe this drivel. Um, and he said, it's on my phone. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because we, we talk about the internet a lot and, and how the internet has affected it. But yeah. maybe what we should be referring to more is actually the relationship, the intimacy of your phone, the intimacy yeah. of information being passed through a WhatsApp group for someone you think's cool down the pub. Hey, man, look, yeah. have, a, have a look at this. Because, because also yeah. there's a certain thing of, you know, when people share that kind of content, you know, particularly in, in the, you know, because I think WhatsApp really is the predominant, you know, means right. of communication for the, for an entire, yeah. you know, global generation is you, you sort of go, maybe want to go along with it. Do you think yeah. that's partly it? Well, I mean, your point of view that this is more interesting than the narrative I'm presented, um, you know, that is a slight indictment of, of those of us who, who are in trying to, you know, um, present information in any other way, um, is that maybe you're not doing this very well. I mean, I noticed this year, I mean, again, I'm always trying to be positive, but there was a slew of, I thought, brilliant documentaries, The Dissident um, uh, Collective, uh, all about really 
you know, journalism at its most um, basic. Brilliant. Yeah. were shot beautifully, presented fantastically. They were on Netflix. And you thought, now that's a good documentary. And then I thought, but I know all that, but it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> and maybe that's it. Maybe we've just got to get better at it um, and persuade people that, you know, the truth is not dull. I remember when we first came to the private eye office, and let me tell you, my friends listening to this podcast, it is a dream come true. You walk through the blue door, you see these fantastic pictures of old covers yeah. all over the walls. You know, for me as well, you know, seeing Peter Cook on some of them was, was, was pretty special. And, you know, there's a sense that, you know, this magazine, you know, there's papers everywhere. You're, it's, it's, it's very sort of fastidious. Uh, it's, it's not so much a gr- sort of glass chrome office in Shoreditch where actually pieces of paper are not really appreciated and everything's digital files. Um, and you're sort of making sure that the engagement rates are pretty good. And what's the best way to title this to get the most clicks? And, mm. and it does seem to be a very powerful difference in the way that modern media and shall we say uh yeah. traditional. let's just call it traditional conservative let's call it conservative yeah. it's conservative media is yeah. is, well, is the funny thing it is quite <laughs> um but again both peter and um uh paul foot who were great friends um the thing they shared was they never believed that any group of men in suits could organize any conspiracy to do anything <laughs> they said well, the whole point of observing british public life has been to find that these people are not competent they will not have organized anything um less conspiracy it won't be true I, I mean this is always what i found hilarious about farage just flip-flopping around i've told you about the time where we got him the first time for the revolution where we were giving him a tenner where i was trying yeah, to get yeah. him to pay me back and um, <laughs> we we got to liverpool at something like 12 30 at night slept slept in a hotel where ukip were having their conference the next morning slipped down at six a whole line of army of policemen stroll past me and we just see you know nige having a casual rothmans outside just on his own so you know i just stroll up to him so that that you know that kind of annoyed him yeah. and it's like and but the thing is you can't Unless you've actually met these people and sort of interacted with that, and then you, you know, it, uh, the sort of people who I find difficult sometimes people come up to me at music festivals and they're like, Man, I heard that, you know, they were all at Davos, man, and they were so, doing this. Cra-. And you're like, Well, yes, p- very rich people, yes, with private jets and private capital to, you know, talk about, you know, to basically communist spouse talking about the poor whilst you're basically lining your own pockets. Uh, yes, that does happen. Um, but also, you know, that's just what that is. Yeah. That's not what you, you know, where does it, where does the fervor come from? Where does it come from? Tell yes. me, Ian, tell me. But I, I, again, I think it's a sort of religious fervor. And I, I, I do think that, that QAnon has become involved in matters of religion because you've got a, a almost a base in America of, it's a much more religious country than we are. I mean, I, people never believe that but i think it genuinely is oh um, much more you'd have to if you, listen i would you i would i can't imagine ever going to a church of england service as i went to in texas for the holocaust of the unborn right okay where they're changing god's prayer to go and then sort of demonstrate outside uh you know closed down abortion clinics yeah. uh, it, it, and get women on stage you know, it is not there you cannot compare the religious fervor over there to over here no. i don't think it's possible 
and I think that is what is being tapped into. Um, by, you know, it's an attempt to order the universe, and everybody wants to do that. You want an explanation. Everybody wants meaning in their life, particularly at times where you're told there isn't any, and it's all out of your hands, and it's all run by, um, you know, the um, Silicon Valley, and the, the technocrats have taken over. It's sort of, oh, it's Bill Gates. Oh, well, it's not that far into believing that um, the Democrats are um, the Antichrist and Actually, it is quite a long way. But anyway, and then Trump comes along and he's, I mean, he's probably the least religious person who's ever appeared uh, in American public life. And he's somehow become the saviour of the religious right, which, again, mm. is just too funny to make up. It's, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, you know, there's nothing more poetic. I'd like to see how often he's been in a church in the last 35 years. I mean, forget it. The only thing I can remember him doing had anything to do with the church was, you know, pepper spraying protesters on the street to walk out in front of the church with his Bible for his photo opportunity. And the terrifying yeah, I was thing about that. for it to be upside down. <laughs> no, of course, that was would have been amazing just zoom into that um, that would have looked lovely in the magazine um, let, let me ask you this where does this go next because my feeling is that the it's very difficult because of the amount of money involved and how difficult it is to you know rein any of the tech companies in at all but how much responsibility do you think let's just call them social media companies yeah. for want not to have lit you know litigation that could come from our answers but in broad sense these yes, social yeah. media companies them not being publishers yeah, I how mean, that big a deal is this? I mean, you know, that is absolutely the key to it. And you know, the can you uh, explain for people who might not understand what we're saying, what we're talking about? Um, if you're a newspaper or a magazine publisher and you publish an article, um, and someone says this is full of rubbish and it libels me, they can sue you. Um, they can take action. You are uh, subject to the laws of the land. If you say, which the tech companies have resolutely said in every forum possible and spending as much money as possible, we're not publishers, we're just a platform. Hey, this stuff just comes and goes. Um, it's not our fault. Then you take no responsibility at all. I mean, which is pretty disgraceful. Um, and part of the, the problem of, of where we are is they at no point took any responsibility Um for the stuff they were putting up. They're now very belatedly, you know, hiring Nick Clegg and... Um, oh, well, they <laughs> Nick Clegg, it's fine. Do you mean it's sort of an act of sympathy just for Britain? It's all right, guys, we'll take Nick Clegg. Just, you, you have conspiracy theories, we'll have Clegg. We're, we're, uh, you can have the tuition fees too. Um, <laughs> no, uh, and so it's just so late, and you can see their entire approach is... is we are above um, national laws, you know, whether on defamation, privacy, libel, and, and of course, tax. We, do, we don't do any of this. Um, it's that sort of um, slightly twisted hippie mentality that started with, hey, we don't collaborate with the man. Um, mm. And then it's, uh, you say you don't collaborate, what, on any field at all that might be <laughs> considered yeah, it's, it's useful. It's when hippieism met Iron Rand, isn't it? And this sort of rugged individualism yeah. of the idea that if, and this is my terrible German accent right now, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. You know, if you want to do it, then it is right. You know, that which basically is Iron Rand summed up in a sentence. And ultimately, the, the reality is that we are now living within a sort of 
it's it's I mean the pandemic has has brought a lot of things into focus, but I think because of the terrifying images that we see, you know, at the time of recording in the Middle East, we saw them last summer. I mean, nothing, not comparing the two at all, but the quite shocking images uh, that we saw all across America, you know, last summer. People mm. do seem to be connecting to a fervor and needing answers more than ever. Um, what what do you think the sort of propulsion of this is? Because we talked about the internet before, and it, it, is it? Do you get a sense this is exponential growth of these um, things? Well, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I hope not. I mean, I think we're in um, uh, a phase where populist um, uh, movements that have got a lot of traction through um, the internet and social media, um, and through a very a uh, very thin grasp on um, truth. Um, maybe that's not putting it very well. Um, a, a very deliberate um, uh, refusal to accept the truth of um, the reality of the world. You think of Bolsonaro in Brazil, you think of Modi in India, you think of Trump, you think of um, our own um, small town um, variant. How dare you? How dare you? Ian, how dare you say that about our country? Do you, uh, Ian, we've just, no, listen, we're in we're Brexit now. Okay, we're on our own. We're just a small boat in the ocean and Boris is manning it. If you can't be part of the team, then they'll throw you into the ocean. I mean, that's yeah. generally what they're talking about doing, isn't it? Let's, let's yeah. be honest about it. Well, well, my view is that replacing the captain is always an option. Uh, <laughs> um, it's part of our long and rather glorious tradition as a country that, that we do do this occasionally. Even captains like, you know, Winston Churchill, know, very, very glorious. But, you know, they've, the changed, they've say, changed the rules now. Donald called him up and said, go for this long term presidency thing. Just keep coming back, you know, make it sequels. I do find that um, the fact that America did have an election, did manage to change it round, and the speed with which um, a country that was quite literally, you know, I mean, it was something like 40% of the country was saying, you know, uh, COVID's a hoax, I'm not going to take the vaccine. Mm. Uh, once it was offered uh, <laughs> by um, Biden and it was um, rolled out through churches and, and public spaces and, and you said, everybody suddenly said, oh, I think I will have it after all. That's not very cheery. <laughs> I, I agree. I have to say, I agree. There are things I think that... it's, no, there are green shoots, aren't there? We don't want to sort of leave off listeners thoroughly depressed and upset. You know, now, no, Ian, because I, these things do swing. Yes. Now, I now I appreciate that you you must probably be off quite soon. But I wanted to say <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the new conspiracist. Um, is there sort of um, anything you'd like to say to those kind of private eye reader out there out there who support you? Because this is a um, this is a difficult time for all media, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, it is a very difficult time, and it's a it's an odd time to find that um, uh, people are so resistant to a taking um the word of of old-fashioned media and also um um being so reluctant to pay for it um mm. and i don't want to sound like the guardian on a bad day um because um, <laughs> oh you'll never sound like that trust me <laughs> uh i do believe that um I mean, journalism is essential but it's also worth paying for it and not even paying very much um mm. Really, in, in relative terms, um, I think the um, uh, if you looked at any inflation index, you would find that essential basic information that keeps you and the place you live in sane is really 
it really is worth more. Listen, two, two pounds a pop to get the news that's going to be the news in four weeks' time today is always a very good idea. And let me tell you now, sweet listener, no private eye, no revolution will be televised. Never, <laughs> ever in the history would never possibly have happened. Um, Ian, thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, thank you, guys. What a series, eh? This has been the second series of uh, The New Conspiracist. I can confirm uh, that James Ball is currently in a Soviet prison with Alex Navalny. We don't know exactly when he's going to come back. He, I mean, he may come back. We're not too sure. George Soros may have him. We, we don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> but Ian, thank you so, so much for joining us. Uh, this has been the new Conspiracy Series 2. See you next year. Yeah.